game with you to start this morning. And uh, perhaps we'll go with everyone from Green Group first. We'll give them a chance because they're in with us. What I want you to do is see if you can tell me the first name of the people that are on the screen, okay? So if we start on the side over here, has anyone got a first name for me? Yep. Don. Is Don is good. Is that right? Uh, does anyone know a second name? Bradman. Don Bradman. What's he famous for? Cricket. More specifically, batting. More specifically, what's he famous for about batting? His average was... 99.94, correct. Yes, that was his average uh, for his whole test career, born in 1908. Uh, can someone from Green Group give me the first name of this lady? Sorry? Joan is correct. Fantastic sky. Play on for the car. That's great. Uh, in 1412, Joan was born. Joan of Noah's wife. Is that right? Not Noah's wife. Okay, all right. What's she famous for? Someone said this morning, beating the palms, uh, which, is, which, which is also the same for Don Bradman. Okay, so there you go. You've got the, uh, got the connection. So Joan of Arc was, so she's sort of the patron saint of the French. She, she led them uh, against the English uh, very famously. So that's Joan. Uh, can someone tell me the first name of the next guy? Yes, Owen. Albert. Albert who? Albert Einstein, what's he famous for? So, a variety of answers, uh, but basically E equals MC squared will be the thing that we know him most for, theory of relativity, all those sorts of things. Um, we had Dr. Luke here before, and I said if you wanted to go and find out some more, you could ask him. Uh, these people, we know them by their first names, even though they were born a long time ago. Why? Because they are all extraordinary individuals, extraordinary individuals. When I look at you guys, in the best possible sense, can I just say, you're pretty ordinary, Okay. I don't, I don't think there are very many of us here, I don't think there are very many of us here who are extraordinary. We're, we're pretty ordinary. But there is something about this gathering which is awesome because this gathering is founded on someone extraordinary, the Lord Jesus. And so we aren't like a soccer club, which are great. We are, in fact, a family. Why? Because in Jesus... In Jesus, the extraordinary Saviour, we have received new life. We've received new life. That's why the church is called New Life, and that's, I assume, why we're here. Something profoundly extraordinary has happened. Your sins have been cancelled, and you have a new status before God. Sons and daughters, ambassadors of Jesus. And so he didn't just save you, although he did save you. But he saved you into a community. He adds us into a new community. And so although at some point in the future we may stream our services, uh, sitting at home on a computer a device watching a service isn't the same as being here because we are the body of Christ together. And that is supposed to be extraordinary. Now I want to talk today from this letter, the letter to, uh, to Philemon, and we're going to do that by talking about some people who are subordinary. That's a new word. I just invented it. Okay. So you've got extraordinary, and these people are subordinary. Those people are slaves. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about slaves, but let me remind you of some of the details. At, at the time of writing, probably something like 33% of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. There were millions of men and women and children who were owned by others. They had no rights. And when you think about that, you think, all right, so 
you know, if they, but if something got out of hand, they could appeal to a judge. No. Their owners could do literally anything to them, including kill them, without recourse to law. They had no rights. Many of them had no names. How many of you have got a name for your vacuum cleaner? Do you have a pet name for your dishwasher? Owen, put your hand down. I don't believe it. Although if you do, come tell me later. That'd be great. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, we, don't, we don't name our appliances in general, unless maybe, well, but anyway, don't share that with us. We don't do that, right? It does a job. And so I'm glad I have a dishwasher, but I don't call it, I don't know, Fred or Brian, Brian or, or Barney. Or, I, don't, I don't call any of those names. Okay? I, don't, I don't have a pet name for my dishwasher. I don't have a pet name, Sylvia, for my hairdryer or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't have names. They do a job. So they have no name. Not always, but many. And they, in essence, they have no personhood. They're not actually people. They're living appliances around the home. Slavery powered Rome. It, there would be no Roman Empire without slavery. What that meant was there was no ethical objections. There was no ethical objections. In other words, if, if my whole empire is being powered by, uh, by slavery, either I'm the recipient of slavery, in which case, why would I object to it? There are a bunch of people who do all the jobs around my home. I'm not going to go, hmm, I have a moral queasiness about the fact that everything I want to have done gets done. No one thinks that thought. Or you're a slave, in which case you had a lot of moral que- queasiness about slavery, but guess what? No voice. So as a consequence, on the whole, the Roman Empire had no problems, no moral objection to slavery. But there was a huge amount of distrust in the Roman Empire. Because if I'm a slave, I detest my master because they own me. And if I'm a master, I detest my slaves because they're just an appliance. And so there's this huge distrust and fear. Because what does a slave want to do to their master who beats them? They want to kill him. So there's this fear across the whole of the Roman Empire, and violence was the norm. How do you keep it in check? How do you keep it in check? With a rod. You beat them and you keep them in place. Okay? And so violence was just the norm. And if you were a runaway slave, you could expect, if you were caught, and there were people who were a special class of people that would go to catch runaway slaves, really, if you caught the, sort of the Boba Fetts of this world, I guess, uh, if you caught a slave, when they came back, here's what they could expect. Capture often equaled crucifixion. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. So if you're a caught runaway slave, you would often be crucified. And it's a dreadful punishment, and we normally only hear about it at Easter, right? But crucifixion is so despicable. I was reading last night, and they said in one case, a slave lived for nine days on the cross. It's utterly appalling. So that was what it meant to be a slave in the Roman world. And what we're going to see today is this letter, Philemon, is written about a runaway slave to a slave's owner. Now that sets the scene, doesn't it? I want you to see, though, why do Philemon, after we spent a whole term doing Colossians, well, we actually see the connection at the end of Colossians. In chapter 4, Uh, we read these words, and Jeff spoke uh, about this uh, last week, but we'll see it. At the end of Colossians, we hear this. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. This is Paul saying. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose 
that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that is happening here. Who's Onesimus? Onesimus is the runaway slave. But how is he being introduced here by Paul? He's being introduced as a faithful brother who is one of you. It's extraordinary. So who's, who's Onesimus? Well, Colossians tells us that Onesimus is Paul's precious postman. He's delivering the letter and he's beloved by Paul. Well, we're going to break down the letter, and as we go through, we're going to do it in a couple of sections, and we're going to see that the opening is about identity. Where do you wonder about identity? Well, we're doing a lot of identity politics in Australia at the moment, but that's not... If you go to the airport, you're forced to think about identity, right? Who are you? Can you prove it? And you have a magical little book where you can go, this is who I really am. I want you to see at the start of Philemon, we have a whole bunch of statements about who these people are. Have a look with me, if you've got your Bibles there, have a look with me at verses 1 to 3. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you there's a bunch of identity stuff going on here. First of all, Paul identifies himself as the writer of the letter as a prisoner. Paul, a prisoner. So Paul's writing the letter from jail. Paul's writing the letter from jail. But then I want you to see there are a bunch of new things here. If you're someone who trusts in Jesus, there is a new relationship, new tasks, new community, and a new status. Let me show you. He calls Timothy our brother. Now, Paul and Timothy weren't related, you'll be surprised to know, except in the Lord. And he doesn't say, Timothy is someone who sits next to me for, for an hour and a half on Sunday. He calls Timothy his brother. And then he goes on to talk about Philemon, our friend, that makes sense, but also our fellow worker. There's, there's an endeavor that the church is on about. We're all harvesting in God's harvest field. And so he's our fellow worker. And then Apphia, who's she? Well, she's our sister. Again, totally unrelated to Paul, except in the Lord. And then she's welcomed as family. And then you see Archippus, or Archippus, our fellow soldier. So you can be hoeing in the Lord's field, but it's not just to to advance the kingdom, it's actually a battle. And so if you're standing with Paul, you're a fellow soldier in this great endeavor that God is doing in the world. And then we see there's a new community. See, it's not just you who are saved. You're not just on your own working in the field, but you're saved into a church. There's a gathering of God's people, presumably in Colossae. And then at the end of the letter, we also get mentioned of Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, who are also called fellow workers. So if you're with Paul, you're part of an endeavor, something big that we're doing together. And then finally, in this little introductory bit in in verse 3, we find out something about our status before God. Now, if you're new to church today, you might might think, I don't know what God thinks of me. I mean, of course he loves me because I love me, right? You might think that. Or or you might think, "Uh, I'm really glad the roof didn't fall on me today. Because God knows what I'm really like, I guess. And it could be terrifying to think about God. For Christians who are here today... I want you to see what their status is. Have a look at verse 3. It says, Grace and peace to you 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can stand forgiven and loved and at peace with God today through Jesus. That new status is a beautiful truth if you're a Christian. New relationships, new tasks, new community, new status. And all of that just in the opening three verses. It's pretty good, isn't it? I want to ask you this morning, is your new life bigger than you? In other words, when you got saved, was it, oh good, I'm glad I'm okay? Or are you able to lift your eyes up and see this family of believers here and the great enterprise of seeing new life come to every home? Is your new life bigger than just you? Now, do you know this turn of phrase, thoughts and prayers? When do we hear thoughts and prayers? When there's a mass shooting, it's become connected with this mass shooting phenomena across in the US. And they go, our thoughts and prayers. When that's all they do, don't change gun laws, they just thoughts and prayers. And so there's a sense in which it's become uh, sort of the gutless thing that politicians say. But it's even worse in Australia. Keep your eyes out for this, guys. In Australia, they can't even say prayers. What you'll watch them, look, our thoughts are with you. And you go, well, bully for you. I mean, what, what really does it do? Our thoughts are with you. See, if our thoughts and prayers are with you, we're calling on the sovereign God of the universe to mercifully intervene in whatever disaster has happened. Thoughts and prayers at least matter. Our thoughts are with you. What, until you get an alert on your, on your phone? Until the news conference ends? No, it's a, it's a terrible thing. I want, to see, I want you to see thoughts and prayers in their best sense. Uh, and I want to do that by thinking about how we pray for those who are on the mission field. Have a listen to uh, to what Paul says next in verses 4 to 6. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. See, Paul says that he does think about them. But he thinks and he prays, and he prays with regularity. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Isn't this great? So it's not just that every now and again he thinks of Philemon. Huh, Philemon. I wonder how he's getting along. Now, guys, we can do that with our family, with our friends, with a whole bunch of things. Oh, it just pops into our head. How about that? But what if you join the remembering to something positive and active? which is prayer. So he says, I always thank my God whenever I remember you. Do you see how it's thoughts and prayers together? Don't just think of them. Pray for them. And what does he pray? Well, he prays thanks. Thanks for hearing about their love for all God's holy people and their faith in the Lord Jesus. Isn't this a beautiful thing? Uh, Imagine if someone got a letter about you. What do they hear? What's the good report they hear about you? Well, they're being very diligent in their workplace. They're being a good parent. What's Paul heard about this man, Philemon? He's heard of his love and his faith. My goodness, please somebody write a letter about that for me. And if you're thinking no one could ever write that letter about me, how about we think some more about faith and love, that they might characterize us in such a way. But then he says this wonderful thing in verse 6. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share in Christ. What he says is, 
I pray that joining us as apostles who are taking the good news out into the world, by joining us, that you might understand your faith better, that you might have a better understanding of the things that you believe in. Now, let me give you a very practical example of how that's worked for us at our place. Uh, We have um, some missionaries here at New Life that we love and encourage, um, Howard and Michelle, and we, we try and pray for them. Uh, through, through CMS. At home, we've got the CMS prayer diary. Has anyone seen the CMS? I meant to bring it as a prop, but it's a book about this big. And what it does is it has all the missionaries from CMS and they're broken up to a different day of the month. So on day seven, you can open it up and there's people in, I don't know, uh, Peru. And here's four families who are doing the work of the gospel. In Peru. So anyway, occasionally, Occasionally, isn't that right, Carrie? Not all the time, but occasionally, when I remember, put the prayer book on the, um, on the table and I say to the kids, what day of the week is it? And they go, it's Wednesday or whatever it is. And I say, no, no, what day of the month is it? And they go, oh, it's, okay, can you look up, what, what's the day today? The 29th. Can you look up in the book, the 29th, and we open it up and I go, kids, what country is that? And they find it on the map. And then I say, who's there? And they look at the pictures and they fight with each other to say, who can pick which family we're going to pray for? And then we say, well, that's them. Let's read what's happening where they are and pray, one of you guys, pray for them and the advance of the kingdom in that place. Now, guys, I've got to tell you, we don't do it regularly enough. But when we do it, I feel excited about the good thing, which is the good news of Jesus, not just for Oran Park and not just for the growing southwest, but for Peru. Are you with me? And so we get a sense of all the good things that we have in Jesus because if somebody could go from here to there, could I go next door? Do you see? And I want to ask, I guess, this morning, is your new life, this new life that God has given you, is it active in prayer and in partnership with those who are making the good news known? We want to have an active life. I watched uh, Lawrence of Arabia, or more, more correctly, I, I invited Carrie to watch Lawrence of Arabia with me. <coughs> you can ask her how that went. <coughs> it was long. <coughs> As we do it, they're in the desert the whole time, right? But they come across an oasis, and the oasis refreshes them. I want you to see here that uh, Paul has been refreshed <coughs> by Philemon. Have a look from verse 7. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who has become my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Paul starts by saying, you've refreshed my heart, bud. And then he moves on to the, the, the burden of the letter. He wants to write about a runaway slave, Onesimus. And he's writing to the slave owner. And I want you to see, Paul associates himself with this man. He associates himself with him. He says, I, I, and because he's associating him with him, he says, look, I want to make an appeal to you. He doesn't say, as an apostle, I'm telling you, you need to do it. doesn't do that. He says, I want to win you over. I want to appeal to you for your love to be the one that guides you. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Mind you, he does get the, uh, the violin out, doesn't he? Uh, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you. 
Who, do, who wants to turn down the old man Paul in jail? So, I mean, he does appeal to him, I, I'm sure, but, but it's, he's laying it on. And, and then he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become both useful to you and to me. In other words, this runaway slave found Paul and became Paul's servant in jail. But the really funny thing is that Onesimus as a name means useful, which is pretty cool, isn't it? So useful was formerly useful to you, but then he became useless and he's been useful to me. And now useful is useful to both you and to me, do you see? And so he's saying, I'm going to send useful back to you that he might be useful again. But here's the thing I want you to think about. A runaway slave was an outsider. They were a rebel. They'd run away, probably, speculation church, probably. He'd taken money from his owner. And then he'd run away from his owner and got as far away as he could. He got all the way to Rome. And, and, and then Paul has met this runaway slave and somehow he's become converted. Wonderful. And then Paul's going, please have him back as one of you. Now, guys, I want you to understand how radical that would be. It's a guy who had a walking death sentence. Literally. If he goes back to Philemon, Philemon was in the bounds of law, there was no law, to literally kill him when he comes home. And Paul says, I'm just going to send him back to you. Firstly, terrifying for Onesimus, yes? And secondly, what do we do as a community when the runaway slave comes back? Do we receive him? If, if Philemon lets him off, do we kill him because he might get my slaves to think about running away? Do we kill him as a community? Do you see? Now, so here's the question for us, church. Do we believe that new life can come to a true outsider? Do we, leave, do we believe that people who are truly outside of our community can get saved by Jesus such that they can be accepted back as brothers and sisters? I think it's really radical what's happening here. And, and Paul is into radical things. In that reading from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, it says we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles. And then he says this incredible thing, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Paul is saying the church community is so radical that the division between slave and free doesn't exist anymore. Would we live like that? In fact, Paul goes further and talks about new family. Hey, have you heard that people get these um, DNA tests to find out about what diseases they might have in their, in their genetic things? Have you, have you heard about those DNA tests? The, one of the interesting things apparently that's happening, the more people that do them, the more they discover the secrets in their family. Have you heard about this? And so people find out, oh, that you, you're not actually my mum. Well, probably you're my mum. Anyway, you, you're not my dad probably is the way that it generally works. But yeah, yeah you're not my dad. Or um, that cousin of mine isn't actually a cousin of ours. That they were adopted. Whatever it is, all these family secrets come out, and you find new family members you didn't think were family members, and you lose family members. That, anyway, I want you to see something extraordinary has happened in the Christian church. Have a look at verses 12 and following. I'm sending him, that's Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. 
Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in Christ. See, Paul has a new vision. Listen to the way he talks about his slave. He says, I'm sending him as my very heart. There's a great connection between them. And then he says that he's no longer, you should have him back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And then he says, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both, see what he says here, as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Something radical has happened here. This non-person has been totally transformed. And I guess I want to ask, do we want to let the good news give us a foundation for the worth of every individual? See, our society tells us that everybody is valuable once they're born. And that everybody is valuable unless you have a despicable social opinion. Our society says things about value, but it has no foundation. There's nothing it can say why everybody is valuable. You know why everyone's valuable, because they were created by God and because Jesus died for them to pay the price for their sins. Everybody, every human being, born or unborn, is infinitely valuable, made by God, redeemed by Jesus. Will you let the good news of Jesus be the ground for why everybody is valuable. Do you have an answer for why? Yes, you do. If you believe this, that they are a fellow man, if they're a fellow human, a brother, then eventually, do you know what happens? This view kills slavery. Slowly but surely, there will be soon no slaves in the Roman Empire because once you see everybody as a brother and sister, If you see their true worth, you can't any longer keep a slave. There's more work to be done here, and we see it in the reconciliation that Paul talks about. Reconciliation is this restoring of relationship. God's done this for us in Jesus, and now we see that he wants us to act it out. So if you consider me a partner, he says in verse 17, welcome him, welcome Onesimus, as you would welcome me, Paul. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, someone said to me after the morning service, what does he mean when he says not to, not to mention that you owe me your very self? I believe that means that he became a Christian under Paul's ministry. Not that Philemon owes Paul a stack of money, but he owes him his very life because that's how he heard about Jesus. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. You see, he's asking for a welcome. Welcome him as you would welcome me. And then he talks about accounts, and he says, I'll pay back whatever debt is owing. I assume this is the money that Onesimus took. Paul's saying, I've got it. I'll cover him. And then he says, I want you to refresh my heart. Do that. Why will it refresh his heart? Because in welcoming the unwelcome, in paying the debts of the undeserving, Paul is acting like Jesus, isn't he? And so he's saying to Philemon, I want you to live out this good news. Reconciliation, restoring relationships, forgiving debts, that is living out the good news. 
Do you express your new life in the way that you relate to others? We want to be men and women who don't hold grudges, who forgive readily, who cancel the charge against another. Do you express your new life to others? Hey, uh, it's almost a year, I think, since we were in uh, the Philippines uh, visiting our sponsored children. It was an awesome time. And uh, I've got a picture there of us arriving. The awesome thing about arriving is that someone was waiting for us. Praise God. We weren't lost in Cebu, which was very good. Um, And so it's great to be met on arrival. Have a listen to um, how Paul signs off his letter. It's so personal. Oh, and one more thing. I'm literally reading it. One more thing. Um, Prepare a a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. See, Paul's in jail in Rome and he says, look, you've been praying for me. Thank you for your prayers. Um, I want you to have hope that I'm going to come and be with you. So hope-filled are you that you ought to prepare a room for me. Now, that's pretty gutsy, isn't it? Paul's in Roman jail, but he's so thankful for their prayers. He says, I tell you what, prepare a room for me. I'm coming to stay in answer to your prayers. That sounds impossible. And what I want to ask you today, church, is what are you praying for that only God can do? See, Philemon was praying for Paul to be released. We, we talk about being an adventurous church, faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring. To be adventurous is to pray to things that only God can do. What are you praying for that only God can do? At the moment, I'm praying that in the, in the long time, uh, God, God will help a building to go up over there that will let us take this out and put more seats in. I don't know how that can happen, but I'm praying. What are you praying for that only God can do? Well, that's our letter. He finishes off by saying, hey, these guys who are with me send their greetings. How awesome is that? Very personal. What should we do? How should we respond to this letter? Well, tell you how we shouldn't respond. The impossible application is to go, I want to live an unreconciled life. I want to hold grudges. I want to be unforgiving. I want to be the person who never lets anybody get anything past me. We can be like that, but there's another club to belong to, and it's not this one. Because entrance to this one is understanding that your debts, your sins have been forgiven. So we can't be those who hold them against others. Will we refuse to pass on the gospel goodness we've received? I I pray not. Some of you here today might need to start the journey. Hey, this is great. Cancel the sins. Peace and grace before God. Sounds awesome. I don't know how it works. Come and do Jesus for the curious with us. Will you begin to understand the one who's behind this new community? Write it down in your Karen Connect card. Uh, I'd like to find out more about Jesus. We'd love to help you in the new term. I think some of us can be those who facilitate reconciliation. Do you see what Paul did? See, here's Philemon, here's Onesimus, and Paul puts their hands together and says, I want to help you guys be right together. And maybe you can help a brother or a sister be reconciled together. Maybe that's a job that you can do. Will we seek to help others be restored to relationship because of our love for Jesus? But here's the thing I think we all have to do. We have to grow deeper. We have to grow deeper. Will we build a community that is truly brother and sister deep? I'll tell you how you can't do that, right? Come for an hour and a half on Sunday and have a cup of tea together. Wow, that was a brilliant cup of tea. That's my sister. 
I had a fantastic biscuit with that bloke. He's my brother. It'll never happen. Even if you do it every week for a whole year, you won't turn into brothers and sisters that way. The way we turn into brothers and sisters, the way that we express family is when we get to know one another, when we walk together, when we weep together. And can I say, guys, that's a two-step part, two-step part. If you go, well, I'm not telling anyone about myself, but I tell you what, church is terrible because no one knows me. I go, well, that, 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 you, you got exactly what you wanted. We, we can only know you to the degree that you want to be known. I want to invite us to be a church community. It means vulnerability. It means commitment. It means making more than just Sunday. We, we need to do life together. It means our life groups are a really important part of how we do church together. We need to find a space to relate together. Perhaps the reason he was separated, Paul writes, from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. See, the church in Colossae was not a church of exceptional people, but it was an exceptional community, and that's what I want for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious. You broke down some extraordinary barriers. You forgave us our sins, and then you made slaves and free one family. Father, I pray that you would help us to become a family here at New Life more and more, that we might love and serve you in fellowship and family. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.